0: But that's that mentoring experience, and that's what podcasts, and that's what we hope our podcasts become for people, is an opportunity to to almost like a masterclass situation. Because uh, there are teachers out there who, who are rock starring, uh, who understand what it takes to do what we do, but nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard their voice. No one's... No one's, you know. There's not a camera in every teacher's room capturing all these moments and, and putting them in a file. And you may have never experienced it, and then you may listen to it on a podcast, and then all of a sudden you experience it, and it's like, oh, I remember them saying, okay, this is how you, okay, got it. And even though it may be like, no, I can't do that, but it gives me an idea. It sparks an idea in my mind of what I can do.
1: Hey everybody! What's going on? Welcome back to the podcast. This is Kyle. Sorry we've been away. Um, there's just been a lot going on for both myself and and Will, and we are in the process of, you know, just taking a break from the podcast to sort out long term what we want the podcast to become and and how it fits into the broader scope of what we want to do as educators and as teammates on Lighthouse Educator Development so our apologies that we've been a little behind um, probably going to take a few more weeks to get ourselves settled but um wanted to share the second half of, of an interview with Ken Norman and and come back to um you know the podcast and just thinking about you know the skills of technology and just trying to reflect on really where we've been, you know, haven't recorded for a little bit, but I promise we've still been working. So like I said, I'm, I'm sorry that we haven't been around, um, got some personal and professional things we're trying to work through. But thanks for being here. We're going to share this episode with you and then we'll be back soon um, with something new and something we think is not just special, but really reflects who we are. So thanks for being here. Enjoy the episode.
0: For you, though, I mean, and maybe this isn't something you could quantify, but how do you really evaluate a platform or a piece of technology before you institute it or encourage other
2: teachers to do so? So the one thing I'll say is your your aptitude or your ability to use technology should be heavily factored into the evaluative process. I am tech savvy, you know, just because... I just like problem solving and I like trying things. Um, it's kind of funny because I was never a video gamer as a kid, but I've really gravitated toward tech, toward, towards technology. But, you know, if you are somewhat tech savvy and that you can play and, and you can figure out, you know, I would say is, you know, again, what do you hope that it's going to change about your lesson? Is this something that you're going to use once? Is it plugging like one simple hole in your classroom or is it a very versatile tool that you can use over and over again? So Google Slides is, you know, it seems like such a simple program, but it's something that I love to leverage a lot because, yes, it is a presentation program, but you can also use it to just make flashcards. You can use it to storyboard. You can use it to plan out your writing because it's little tiles that you can move around. It's easy to it's easy to manipulate that. Um, So it was a tool that I invested time into my classroom because I wanted my students to use it repetitively. but as far as evaluating you know i think it's important to to lean on people that may have experience with it or again approaching it with a certain lens you know not i've heard of nearpod i want to start using nearpod it should be in my classroom i would love my students to have more freedom in creating when we get to our writing unit how can i what tools are out there to help me accomplish that so starting from a position of this is what I hope to accomplish, what's out there, and leaning on a tech coach you have in your district or a tech savvy colleague or using social media, instead of starting with a tool and figuring out how that tool fits your classroom. So starting with that purpose and then finding the tool or tools to fit that, I, I think is is one of your most important pieces for evaluating.
0: Yeah, I can't, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've started the opposite way that you would advise, where you see a flashy piece of tech and you decide you're gonna use it and then try to fit. I mean, that's such a good evaluation. And and even just what you said, like taking something so simple as Google Slides, because really, I mean, my kids only use it for presentations, but man, yeah. just to, to think about even just storyboarding or, or, or doing that, I think is really, like a powerful lesson to ensure to ensure that you're getting the most out of the platforms that you use. You know, like you said, are you using one platform as just a one-off as a particular thing, or are you really trying to dig into one particular platform and use it to its
2: capabilities? So I, yeah, I the, guess the other thing, if I could add something on that, yeah. um, even just sticking with Google Slides, a skill that I, or a method I developed in my classroom or I started to use and that I encourage teachers to is I I call it blending objectives. So if you are, if you know you're going to use a tool multiple times, Google Slides, you should not introduce Google Slides when you are doing a presentation project in your classroom. Your kids should have been exposed to that many times before that. So I look at there is always they can students can only people can only learn one new thing at a time. So if I want to teach them Google Slides, I'm going to review a, a content skill, we'll say vocabulary. So I'm gonna introduce Google Slides. Here's how you add a title, here's how you add text boxes, here's how you add pictures. Take our 10 vocab words and make one slide for every, for every vocab word, the title is the word, put a definition, find a picture that, that showcases that word. So now I've reviewed vocabulary, which is important to do in my curriculum, And I taught them the basics of Google Slides. And so I continue to layer in simple activities like that. So when I get to the project, now Google Slides is not new. That becomes the review side of the equation. And the new side can now be your content. Now you can teach new content while reviewing tech tools that you already have leveraged in your classroom. Yeah,
0: I... I. I know I made that mistake too at times of trying to teach new content and and a new particular platform. Um man, that's that's really good blending objective. So I guess the next logical question is over the last couple of years, being a tech savvy person, even though you're not a technology, um, what has your experience been like? Um, you know, how long were you virtual? What did you use and and how did you see it, you know, playing out with the people who work with you?
2: So when COVID shut everything down, I was, I was a STEM teacher at the time. So we finished out the year completely virtual, pretty much like everyone did in America. So this is March 2020. So at the elementary level, we didn't have an actual LMS. We weren't one-to-one. We uh we use Seesaw for portfolios and for interactive activities. At the secondary level in our district, which I was not a part of at the time, they were one-to-one with Canvas and and laptops. So every kid was sent home with their one-to-one device. In elementary, they pulled every single device together and sent kids home with something. Um, so you know that 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 three-month period, I think, for everyone was just doing the best that they could to push some stuff out to kids and keep them occupied. And so I'm going to kind of leave that alone. So walking into the 2020, 2021 school year, I was starting my position as the instructional coach and my district, we, uh, we were in, we were in person the entire year. We never shut down. We had choices in the beginning of the year. So at the secondary level, um, Our high school was hybrid, so kids could either be completely virtual or they were in two days, out three days. At the middle school level, they were either in five days or out five days, so virtual, and maybe some blended hybrid as well. Elementary, there was all three going on, but a classroom was either completely in, completely virtual or hybrid. There was no like blending all three in in one class. So we had a lot of different models going on and it really, it gave our parents and our community members just the choice of what they thought was best for their child. So, you know, in the beginning of that year, it was just getting teachers to be able to function with Zoom and with, you know, extending their projector so they could have two screens of Zoom and the the content and the kids in front of them, the kids at home. And so it was, you know, they had to use technology out of necessity. And so moving into this year, we've been in person every day. Um, You could be a part of our cyber programs that we have, but if you're attending, you're there every day. And so now teachers don't have to use technology in the sense that all of their kids are with them. There's nobody at home for part of the time or or anything like that. And so, you know, it gets to the point of like, what did we learn for two years? What value did you gain out of technology? Are you completely sick of it? And do you want to throw it away? Are kids sick of it? And so I think it's a balancing act because kids are definitely using more technology now than they were three years ago, but at some capacity, it's too much. And, and I think my, st- my personal stance is there's way too much content consumption happening via technology. It is a great tool to allow us to consume content in dynamic ways. You know, a simple thing like Puzzle, You can push out a video that you made that's online. You can embed questions. It's a great tool, but that is not something students should be engaging in multiple times a day. We should be leveraging the creative aspects of it or using a technology tool or resource to facilitate in-class conversations. So the the laptop's open, the kids have it open the whole class, but they're not staring at it the whole class. It's a resource they're using to engage in a conversation, to do a collaborative, you know, problem together, those different things. So I think it's finding that balance of, you know, I I always encourage teachers, look at the lessons you did that you had to use technology. Was there gain from it? If there was, well, maybe you still use that technology. If it was worse, and when you did it without go back to without. So, you know, that balancing act I think is what teachers are struggling most with this year because they feel like they still have to use it, but they're kind of sick of it, but they've also kind of become attached to the ease that it can provide as well. Yeah. I,
0: I hadn't heard that term before of con- using technology for content consumption. And that definitely is how it felt like, um, It was for us over the last couple of years where Mm -hmm. we were really pushing out content to kids, not necessarily creating. And we had a huge problem of, I mean, and I'm sure you did for the kids that were at home or virtual of, you know, getting kids, you know, getting kids going, getting kids to do the work, getting kids to turn things in. So we've really... My school particularly is kind of most of the teachers have tried to go away from technology quite a bit just to get back into that routine. But I really like what you said of asking yourself, like, what is the purpose of using this technology Mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, shoving out content to kids? Because like you said, and and just think about what you said, like with Google Slides, like my students are starting a unit on the Cold War. I could have them take their cold war vocab words and put it into a Google, Google slide presentation that they would have access to all the time.
2: Right. Right. So definitely. And I, and I also say that from a perspective of when I was teaching fifth grade, so this is, you know, 2016 to 2019. um, At that time I had 10 laptops for 30 kids and, my kids did a lot of content consumption in my classroom because I created probably 150, 200 screencasts on adding fractions, subtracting fractions, all these different skills that we did. But again, that that piece of purpose, I created these lessons to further uh, enhance the differentiation going on in my classroom. So when I got to the skill of adding fractions, I knew which kids were clueless, which kids kind of remembered it from fourth grade, but needed some support, and which kids literally already knew everything I was going to teach them. And so by having that screencast, I could allow the kids that were kind of there to watch that screencast and start their independent work. While I bet with the clueless, and I say clueless, not being offensive, they just didn't know how to add fractions. Yeah, I taught them. I taught them how I would always teach everybody. I spent 20 minutes with them. And then when they left me, they watched the screencast again, or for the first time, but they were retaught through that screencast. And then they tackled the independent work. And so, you know, content consumption can be a great thing to leverage in your classroom. But I had the purpose of enhancing my differentiation, not just, hey, everybody watch this video.
0: Yeah. And I and I feel like that's what that's what ours was, was like, hey, everybody watch this video. I mean, because it was difficult to try to direct teach over Zoom when you're looking at. 25 black boxes on your zoom account so yeah a lot of good takeaways from that so i do want to give you a chance to talk about um something else that you're really passionate about we talked a little bit about um student student student-centered learning um i won't necessarily say it's a buzzword it kind of has been a buzzword It, it it has i've i've seen it having different meanings so To you, what does that look like or, you know, what is student centered learning and what did it look like when you were a classroom teacher?
2: I do think it's a buzzword. I think it's, I think it's thrown around a lot and like all, there are buzzwords that are just buzz. And then there's other ones that are, are, I think really uh, important, but they're also kind of like thrown around as buzzwords because people don't necessarily know exactly what it means. Like project-based learning. Project-based learning is a phenomenal thing to do with your students, but it's also a buzzword because people throw it around constantly. So for me, student-centered learning was putting the students in the driver's seat as much as I possibly could. I you know, I wanted them to work incredibly hard when they were in my classroom, and I wanted to work incredibly hard when they weren't in my classroom. And so... I wanted them doing as much as they could while they were with me. So, you know, I talked about like leveraging those screencasts, you know, kids rotating through centers. That is a form of student-centered learning because you are forcing them to work independent, work collaboratively, and then you're also allow- you're allowing opportunities for you to teach in a smaller group. But, you know, another phrase that's used with it is like, stop being the sage on the stage and be the guide on the side. Yeah, I get that. That that's that's important. You're you're essentially they're saying stop lecturing and have the kids work and be there to support them. But what I what I found through my own growth is that there's so much focus put on the style in which you're teaching and that's where student-centered learning ends. When I think there's three components that you need for effective student-centered learning. You need your instructional approach. So trying out stations, trying out small group learning, trying out inquiry-based learning, these things where the students are exploring the content, learning the content more on their own, and you're supporting them. But that only works when you establish a culture of learning in your classroom. So that's one of those other key components that I think is important. Creating a culture where students are curious, where they want to learn, where they know how to make decisions. If they don't know how to make a decision in your classroom, they're not going to be able to make a decision about their learning. And so, you know, that was something that I built into my classroom. I constantly forced them to make decisions, whether it was about what we were learning or just simple things that were built into the daily interactions of a classroom. And the third component that I think is important is the operations of your classroom. If students rely on you to carry out Every step of the way of a lesson and the operations in a classroom, they're not going to be able to then lead themselves in learning. Leading themselves in learning is the hardest part. So a simple example of operations. When students come into a classroom, the teacher is directing them, verbally directing them, this is this is what I want you to do. Here's how we're getting started. They're they're getting the class rolling every day with their verbal directions. Instead of, you know, as a secondary teacher, if you have an LMS have a standard spot in your LMS every day. Kids walk into their classroom, they open their laptops, they read that same spot. It tells them exactly what to do. It could be, you know, turn and talk to the person next to you about this topic. It could be close your laptop and just socialize. It doesn't mean that they have to engage in the technology. It could be a discussion post. They could engage in the technology. But the point is, you're creating an operation where the students are driving themselves towards what they're supposed to do And you can stand at the door and greet everyone. You can handle a misbehavior that you had the previous class. But that simple operation is training the students how to put themselves in the driver's seat versus just waiting for. Waiting to hear from what the teacher is telling them to do. And so student centered learning is complex. It's challenging and it takes I think it takes a long time to grow each piece and 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 turn the keys over a little bit more, um, you know, every day at a time and every year at a time as you become more comfortable. But I think it's taking a holistic look at the classroom and as a teacher saying, okay, what do I do? How do I stop doing that? How do I get the kids to do that? And, you know, I kind of talked about with my studio, that mentality permeated into, into the studio, getting the kids in charge and running the program. And so it is Yes, it is instruction. Like I said, stations, small group, math workshop, reading workshop, all those terms are part of that. But if you only look at your pedagogy, you're never going to hit the levels of of success that you can with student-centered learning.
0: You know, and a lot of what you kind of said spoke to me because the biggest challenge I face as an eighth grade teacher is our kids have been so trained to sit and get. hmm and I ask them to carry out simple instructions and to be self-directed. And I have kids that are just like, have no
2: capability of it. Right. And yeah. Because, you know, as a, middle, as a middle school teacher, if you're the only one doing it, that's one out of, you know, they have what, seven classes in a day. So one seventh of their schedule, there's this different expectation. So you have that challenge of culture of learning every day. It was a fifth grade teacher. It was, I had them all day, so it was trying to kind of train that out of them in the beginning of the year from what they had experienced for four years, and and then thriving on that. So so yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, and I yeah, get it. and
0: and and the struggle I face in this too is like, can you know can you as the teacher trying to do this and trying to change it, do you have the stamina? Mm-hmm. to put up with and not to put up with isn't the right term but do you have the stamina to to continue to do it and continue to work on it through the struggle because it does take time like and I know I felt at times that it would just be easier if I did what everybody else did it would yep. just be easier if I just gave these kids notes and and doing that and to be fair, there's a place for kids, you know, taking some notes on certain things. And, and I I get frustrated when people say it's like, well, you got to be doing everything on technology, or you got to be doing nothing on technology, or you got to be doing this or that, you know, and even like you said, as an eighth grade teacher, all four of my, my eighth grade classes are different. Mm -hmm. All four of the, you know, the particular sections have a different vibe and a different, um, you know, way about them. So it's that part of understanding what's right for the kids, but that's something we've really, you know, struggled with, with our kids this year, just simply because the last couple of years have been so crazy is getting them back into that routine of like being curious and being willing to go out and, and get stuff. And you know, I have kids. When I ask them to do research, they're literally typing it into Google, and then copying off the Google results page. They're not even clicking into other websites. Mm-hmm. And it and you know it leaves me scratching my head. Like how how do you move these kids in the right direction? But thankfully, you know, over the course of the year, the kids have been better and and they've grown. Um, and it's it's really interesting. But you know, I. I like what you said though especially when it comes to student centered learning that it's I think I've heard a lot when it came to that that it was you know or people misunderstand it as just like pushing everything off to onto the kids mm-hmm. which isn't the case like you have to do even you know student centered learning activities take prep work and it it takes some and I'm sure you could attest to how much time it takes on the front end to, you know, do all your screencasts and have all that stuff prepped. But I think it's important and it's important thing to do to, to try to get the kids in a spot where they can direct themselves a little bit.
2: Yeah. And it's, it, it absolutely is challenging. It takes a lot of um, like you said, just that confidence and that, you know, pushing through because it's going to be a struggle And creating the content, creating the resources, absolutely takes time. And, you know, just two things I want to say from that perspective, if you tackle that or you're going to tackle that, make sure when you create screencasts, it's from a position of skills and content, not programs, because if your district changes programs, you're still going to teach the same skills in the same grade level. But also what gets, what's exciting is once you start to create whether it's screencasts or projects or activities that kids can do independently or collaboratively. And those, some won't work, some will work. And when you get more of those that do work, you know, my last year teaching fifth grade, I felt like I was just kind of like, I was just strategizing. How do I make each, each kid successful? Because I had the content, I had the activities and it was like, okay, okay these three need that. These three need that. I'm going to work with this one. And it just became like a fun game of how do I, how I do all this to put each kid in position to be as successful as possible. And one of the most important things that I had was automatic grading quick checks. Google forms was the one I used the most, but I always had these quick checks to know, okay, they are succeeding in this skill. Like I am anticipating them where they're not and now I pull them to do this activity. So keeping a pulse on them was, was one of the most important things for me. And to, if I could kind of just circle back to what you're saying about struggle as an eighth grade teacher, I think one of the things I hear a lot in secondary classrooms that in my opinion is a, is a culture killer in terms of culture of learning is repeating and focusing and saying how much this activity is worth. I get as secondary teachers, kids won't typically do stuff unless they know there's a grade attached. But the more that's talked about, the more it's like, okay, this is a 50 point project. This is important. the more learning is about points and less about learning. And so it's kind of like a double-edged sword where you obviously have to have that stuff in place, but at the same time, you want to bring focus away from that and the focus towards here's why this is valuable to spend your time doing it. Yeah. You know, that's so funny. Cause Uh, at the start of our second trimester, I
0: asked my kids a hypothetical. If I gave you all the same assignments, all the same projects, we did the exact same thing as we normally would, but I didn't grade any of it. What would you do? And the majority of them said they wouldn't do anything. What's, what's the point. Mm -hmm. And that, that for sure is an uphill battle that, Mm -hmm that we are facing right now to get kids thinking about, you know, just making it about learning. But, you know, it, they, they're they all asking, well, how do I get this particular grade? Tell me what I gotta do to get this particular grade. Tell me what I gotta do. You know, that's 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 the struggle we're having, you know, these days. But man, we've been going almost an hour here and, I haven't got to any uh, really, you know, the questions that we got, but we're going to have to definitely have you come back on and For talk sure. a little bit, a little bit more. Cause I want to hear more about what you want to say um, or what you see as, you know, like culture of learning. Cause that's something. Um, and definitely talking more about building relationships. Cause we didn't really get mm-hmm. into either of those two points, but it is Saturday. I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. So I'm going to just ask you a few wrap up questions. Sure. If that's all right with you. So uh, one of the questions we always like to ask is, have you read or listened to anything recently that really inspired you?
2: So um, I'm a big fanatic about podcasts. I, I have my own. I, I enjoy appearing on, on them as well. But listening, uh, one I have I have listened to for a few years now that sometimes I find myself leaning away from it. And then I I listen to a few and it grabs me right back in. It's called The School of Greatness by Lewis Howes. Uh he puts out a show almost every day, but it's about health, it's about wealth, it's about fitness, it's about um, you know, just finding success. It's a it's a really great show. He's got a ton of dynamic guests. He's been doing it for over a decade, I think. He's and he's a great listen. And so I I definitely always try to check what's the topic, what's the guest and, and tune tune into a couple of those a week.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. One that really made a difference for me. And I'm, I'm in that at that exact same spot of like, I listen, you know, to people that I'm interested in, but don't mm-hmm. necessarily listen to them all because man, you know, even like you said, four or five years ago, the amount of content that's out there in podcasts, you could bury yourself, right? In, in podcasts. You could be doing it all the time. So if I gave you the opportunity to give one piece of advice to teachers that every teacher would take to heart, what do you think that one piece of advice would be?
2: I think I would say find the the purpose in your path. And what I mean by that is kind of some things I've talked about today with be intentional with what you're doing with your kids, what you're doing with your own time, and have purpose behind it. What are you hoping that they accomplish? It's so easy to just fall in the routine of curriculum and programs that we're, we're um, hired to do. But the reality is, if you really are as effective as you can be with your time with the kids and without the kids, and I and I am all for like when you go home, you leave your work at you leave your work there. It's it's family time. It's personal time. But that time you have with the students in front of you, be purposeful with it and and always look at what other skills can i teach them right now can i give them the opportunity to speak to a classmate and learn communication skills or listening skills you know try to be as purposeful as possible so that you're not only always teaching content but you're teaching you know like people like to say the soft skills and the 4 Cs and those different components really try to be purposeful and intentional that you're always looking at what is the value in this what value can my kids get out of this? Because that honestly will help feed into that culture of learning because you're trying to bring something in outside of that standard content. Love that.
0: Love that. So for people that want to connect with you, get in touch with you, hear your podcast, ask you questions, what's the best way to do that?
2: Sure. So uh, I am on Twitter uh, exclusively for social media. So my handle is at Ken Erman, K E N. E-H-R-M-A-N-N. So you can reach out to me there, follow me there, send me a direct message. I'm not that big, so I'll I'll definitely respond to you. Um, I also host my own podcast. Uh, it's called Powered Up. You can find everything about that podcast at powereduup.com. Uh, our videos, all our podcasts are on there. You can follow and subscribe. Um, and honestly, feel free to, uh, like I said, direct message me on Twitter if you don't have that. Go to my website, kenerman.org, and you can send me a message. It'll go right to my email. I love collaborating, working with teachers. If you have questions about what you heard, if you want to brainstorm about an idea of your classroom, um, I'm always game to, to help teachers learn and grow. Well, wow. Ken, man, it was
0: great to connect. And like I said, I'm gonna have we're going to have to have you back on and, and talk a little bit more about the relationship and school culture piece. But man, really appreciate you spending some time with us.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time.
1: As always, everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. If you need anything, reach out. Find us at itskylekrieger at I. Find us and let us know what we can do to help and support you. But like I said, been taking a little bit of an unintentional break. Going to take a little bit longer of a break to really make sure that what our show is is a reflection of who we are and who we want to be. So love y'all. Take care.